0: Hello and welcome to a special Haunting Season edition of The Three Ravens Bestiary, a series all about mythical monsters, legendary creatures, and things that go bump in the night. My name's Martin Vaux. I'm a writer, storyteller, and English romanticism obsessive, and I'm joined as ever by my partner in crime and all dark arts. Eleanor Conlon. Hello
1: and am I right in thinking we're talking about demons today? We
0: are and this is a complex topic so we won't be covering absolutely everything demonic. We could almost create a whole new podcast on demons but I'm going to try and offer a sort of overview and brief history in the normal kind of three ravens bestiary way.
1: Okay well maybe the first question I have if you don't mind me asking, yeah. and this might seem very obvious, but where does the word demon come from? Mm. I mean, is it French? Démon? <laughs> that well, could mean of the mountains. Yeah, it could. Or it could be German, I suppose. Well, so our best
0: guess is that it comes from ancient Greek, although there's plenty of evidence of things we might call demons before the Greeks came along. But still, the word demon in ancient Greek, that roughly translates as D A I M O N in English means something close to a divided soul or divided souls.
1: That's very interesting Mm. because, of course, in ancient Greek pantheism, you have varying degrees of man, nymph, god, demigod, titan, and so on. And in ancient Greek belief, were demons evil in the way we tend to think of them in the sort of post-Abrahamic cultures?
0: No, they weren't. And just to be clear on some terminology, an Abrahamic culture or religion means a religion coming from the root story or myth of the prophet Abraham, who appears in the book of Genesis as a descendant of Noah. Abraham's descendants are said to have founded Israel. But in short, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, as well as Baha'i, Samaritanism and Rastafarianism all have their roots in the same story, with Muslims calling Abraham, Ibrahim. But basically, when Eleanor says post Abrahamic, then we're talking roughly sixth century bc and since then
1: yes sorry bit of a can of worms i realize <laughs> oh, i just not wanted to use that word yeah and that's <laughs>
0: really important that we kind of establish a rough timeline actually because demons seem in effect to have always been part of human belief and we're talking here since the very first paleolithic societies wow. yeah so looping back to the ancient greeks though you get this term eudaimonia, which means, in effect, good-spirited or being virtuous. And this kind of links to concepts of the demonic for the ancient Greeks, where writers and philosophers like Plato and Socrates and Homer and Hesiod talk about the idea, on the one hand, of demons being forces or spirits of instinct, or aspects of the human condition, and also of a person's demon being. In essence, their soul. So something they're born with, maybe, or something which echoes after they've gone, if they manage to personify a particular trait or become worthy enough to carry a message as a kind of tutelary deity. So a teaching god, also known as a genius. Okay
1: so that would seem to imply that for the ancient Greeks demons are kind of the same as ghosts maybe. Yeah kind of yeah. I mean the word genius we think of today as meaning someone who's especially gifted or clever at something. Yeah. But of course the word genius is also the root of the word genie. Yeah. So are demons and genies kind of the same thing for the Greeks?
0: Well they kind of are. So a number of primal forces or genies or demons in ancient greek mythology included for example nemesis the Mm. force of equilibrium or justice eros aka cupid the force of sexual desire or demos and phobos the forces of dread and panic
1: that's really interesting Mm. because to me it sounds like for the ancient greeks demons are these kind of divided or separate forces not human but related to human And provide a kind of external influence to people and change the trajectory of their lives. Well, that's
0: exactly right. So they have their own agendas, their own impetus. And sometimes they work as servants of or allies to specific gods, sometimes as enemies to them, and they can fall in love and latch onto people. So they have this interesting status as mysterious, sublime forces acting on human affairs. When
1: you put it like that, it does feel a bit like these ancient Greek forces the daemons are therefore not that different to the sort of cultural model or idea of demons we now have in post-Abrahamic cultures. (laughs) No, I,
0: I think for the Greeks, the distinction is their moral ambiguity. So they aren't necessarily good or bad. They are almost ambivalent in that sense. And where things got muddled was in the earliest translations of the Old Testament, so like the Hebrew Old Testament, into ancient Greek. So this is around the 3rd century BC, where the term demon is used as a bit of a catch-all term. A
1: catch-all term for what?
0: Well, so this comes out of the Romans, but in essence, Iron Age cultures would kind of write about gods and pantheons of other empires and kingdoms as being demons or demonic so all genius loci all local gods or gods of place for example if they weren't assimilated into the roman pantheon they would be called demons and this quirk was integrated into the early bible translations where the gods of all other kingdoms are called demons as are very interestingly some angels
1: okay so are you saying that lucifer being a demon basically comes from an error in translation well
0: kind of
1: goodness so that's amazing so are other archangels like michael and gabriel and Raphael and so on also demons
0: it depends on what they're doing (laughs) excuse me yeah it's kind of awesome so the word angel comes from the ancient greek word angelos meaning messenger so in these translations if the character michael gabriel raphael those are the big three but you also have others including metatron and uriel and azrael and so on if they are carrying a message from god then they are angels if not they're demons, these forces of nature.
1: <laughs> uh, an arch, of course, means chief. So yes. you, you can have an arch demon who's a chief spirit yeah, or chief
0: force. Exactly. But
1: if they're acting on their own instinct, like, say, well, nemesis yeah. or eros or so on, then they could be arch demons.
0: Exactly that.
1: Oh, my goodness. My mind's been a bit blown by this, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, because Lucifer, as he's not acting in accordance with orders from God, quite literally yeah. goes against them, So he's an archdemon. Yes. And that, really kind of changes how we should think about his role in early scripture.
0: Indeed, indeed. But obviously Lucifer and Satan, these are big names we're bandying about and it's definitely worth acknowledging some of the earlier demons we know about from other ancient cultures. Okay,
1: well this should be good. What are we (laughs) gonna talk about first? Ancient Egyptian or Babylonian maybe? Mm. I'm presuming it will be one of those as they are after all pretty much the two oldest civilizations from which we have surviving
0: writing. Well, should we do the Egyptians first? Why not? Okay, in which case We shall refer first to the Contendings of Horus and Seth, which dates from roughly 1150 BC, so over 3,000 years ago, where you have Horus, god of the Kemet, the Black Land, aka the Fertile Land, and Seth, the god of the Deshkret, the Red Land, aka the Barren Land, battling to see who will succeed Osiris, the god of life and death, as king.
1: Solid setup. And that idea of the black land versus the red land, the fertile versus the barren, is a pretty common feature of ancient Egyptian belief, isn't it? Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, ancient Egyptian belief is hardly dualistic, by which I mean there isn't often like a good and bad but there are lots of kind of binary oppositional forces. It's a very common theme in ancient Egyptian belief.
1: So light and dark, yeah. night and day. So,
0: for example, you know, the demon Apep or Apophis, also known as Isfet, who is the lord or force of darkness and chaos, represented by a giant snake. Yeah, I guess. yeah so he's the opponent of Mart, the... Demon or force of light and order. But to be clear, a lot of the names of these demons and their representations are a proper muddle coming from texts, including like the Coffin texts, the Book of the Dead, and the Pyramid texts, all of which have been translated into various languages and back again, many of which are fragmentary, and and all that leads to lots of confusion.
1: So in terms of the contendings of Horus and Seth, what what kind of demonic action do we have there?
0: Well, that text is basically about a series of contests with Seth losing every one. But at one point, Seth threatens to plague Horus' lands with demons. And in ancient Egyptian belief, there are a few different types of demons, specifically the Hayat or shayet, who are similar to the ancient greek demons really their their primal forces like fate inspiration lust or anger and include who and sia for example these characters who and sia who are the demons of control and inspiration who sail the sun god ra's boat but in terms of these demons as a whole their name comes from the term night spirit or dream spirit which i think is really interesting yeah
1: it's fascinating seems to suggest something unconscious or, yeah. or beyond seeing mm. and what do they call again hyatt and Shayat.
0: yeah hyatt and Shayat, depending on the dialect Uh, Then there are other kinds of demons, including the Shamayu, meaning wandering spirits. So these are restless or placeless entities who can move as they please. And then you have a third kind called Guardian Demons, or Airi, who are a bit like genius loci, so linked to specific locations, such as those which guard various entries to Aru, the field of reeds, um, which is the kind of light version of heaven, and the dual. The dark underworld.
1: And do we have the names of any of these demons? I
0: mean, there is a team at Cardiff University studying this, and so far they have found over 4,000 separate demons mentioned what? in various ancient Egyptian That's texts.
1: Crazy! Yeah,
0: and in line with Egyptian belief in kind of all. Inhuman, like spiritual creatures, they are all animal-human hybrids. So, to give you just a few interesting ones, at the fifth gate to Duart, there's a hippopotamus-faced demon called Ashbu the Maggot Eater. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, it is. And at the 21st portal to Aru, there is a giraffe-headed demon called Memmi who speaks through sharpened flint.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, does that mean her, her language is the chipping of flint or the edge of a flint blade? Well,
0: probably a bit of both.
1: <laughs> I love the idea of a giraffe demon guarding a portal to the underworld with a shank. Yeah, of course. Stab you up.
0: And then at the judgment of the dead, so the point where your heart is weighed against the feather of Ma'at, the god of light, to see if you're worthy to enter into the field of reeds in the afterlife. There's one of my absolute favourites, Amit, the devourer of corpses.
1: Oh, that sounds ominous. And (laughs) what horrible combination of creatures do we have in Amit, devourer of corpses? (laughs) Well,
0: she is a gigantic, like a huge combination of a hippo's backside and back legs, A lion's body and four legs, and then... This is going to be your favourite part. She has a huge crocodile head. Oh, no. Well,
1: that does make (laughs) sense for the devourer of corpses, frankly. Yeah,
0: so basically, Amit waits very patiently, just kind of napping one eye open, while Anubis, the jackal-headed god of the scales, weighs your heart, overseen by Osiris, the life and death god, with Thoth, the baboon-headed god of judgement, standing by, taking measurement of the results. And then, if you're found wanting and guilty of any of the four 42 unforgivable sins then amit would gobble you up this doesn't sound very nice at all does it (laughs) well no although the book of the dead is very clear that if you are successful and manage to make it through to aru ascending to the field of reeds then poor amit has to go hungry yeah
1: you're not going to make me feel sorry for a nasty (laughs) crocodile demon oh poor amit So what about the ancient Mesopotamians then?
0: Okay. well, the first thing to say is that I'm going to use the terms Babylonian and Mesopotamian interchangeably here, which I know isn't technically correct, as Babylon was a city, Mesopotamia a region. But to all intents and purposes, the cultures are one and the same. So just a kind of pedantry point to start us off.
1: (laughs) Let's not pretend we're fussy about this kind of thing. But I do appreciate the clarity. Yes,
0: okay. So in Babylonian belief... Demons lived in the underworld or afterlife known as Kur and emerged to interfere in human affairs. As you
1: probably would if you could. I mean, who wants to be cooped up in the afterlife forever without getting out for a bit of a spree?
0: Particularly not the Babylonian afterlife, which was really dull. So in Kur, it's always half-light and the only food or drink the dead can access made of Dust. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, good or bad, everyone goes to the same place and just kind of is in this primordial blank space. For all of eternity.
1: Wow, that sounds mega miserable. Yeah,
0: your only spots of joy would come from people remembering you. Because if people remembered you and celebrated you after death by pouring away wine and other food and drink, then you would get those gifts to consume in cur.
1: I guess if you're a demon down there, people aren't likely to be sacrificing five course tasting menus. <laughs> no,
0: no, probably not. So, one type of demon in Kur is a gala or galu. These creatures are tasked with returning any souls who escape from Kur back to the underworld, and they include Asag the Ugly. To see a bit of a look at. Well, that. he's made of all sorts of animal parts held together with clay and is so grotesque that his sheer ugliness makes rivers boil as he passes.
1: Oh, poor Asag. <laughs> That's a like the ugly duckling. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've met some people with questionable clothes and haircuts, but they haven't made watercourses spontaneously evaporate. <laughs> no. So, imagining the level of his ugliness.
0: Indeed. So, then there's a species of demon called the udug or udug who are messengers they appear less as creatures and more as an absence of everything so almost like a pure black void out of which voices speak it's said that you could never touch an udug as it's highly poisonous but they're neither good or bad just their messages from the other side might be
1: a little bit like a messenger angel or demon yeah. in the ancient greek old testament to be honest yeah
0: maybe i mean certainly they're known for making a terrifying sound when they speak like angels but interestingly we have texts from way back around 1800 bc so almost 4,000 years ago about how to summon and banish udugs so that's extremely interesting to me of
1: course and have we got any specific udugs um like old ugly ass who well,
0: so are ones with names mm. uh, no in fact the texts are quite clear that udugs are nameless ones who have always and always will be nameless oh
1: that's creepy and a bit sad yeah
0: although maybe not as creepy as these two dueling demons Patsatsu the demon of the south wind and ruler of the wind demons so he's a winged demon who you could summon to blow all the bad luck out of your house and help with pregnancy which is thought to be like a curse that came, came with with the wind sometimes although he can also just cause mass destruction and plagues and storms and so on And then you have his enemy, Lamastu, she of seven names.
1: That's pretty great. Of course, we we know Patsusu. He's the the demon in the exorcist. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, that we just talked about. But I like she of the seven names. Do we know the seven names?
0: Well, we don't know all of the seven names, actually, to be fair. What we do know is Lamastu is a giant hairy woman (laughs) with bared breasts, a lion's head, bird wings and taloned hands in which she grasps two snakes. sounds
1: very intimidating. Yeah, in
0: some art, she's also pictured as suckling a pig as well.
1: On one of her huge hairy breasts. (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. Mm. And she is intimidating. She's known for causing miscarriages, eating babies, as well as any men she doesn't like, inflicting nightmares and poisoning nature. And the only real way to counter her is to summon and hope you've made sufficient sacrifices to him that he'll help you out and not just make Lamastu's devastation even worse. mean It
1: sounds like the Mesopotamians have quite a few nasty demons in their belief system. Uh, they did,
0: although they aren't all bad. For example, rather than Lamastu, you have these guardian spirits called Lamassu, so without the T. You might have seen sculptures of these. They look very much like some egyptian sphinxes people even theorize the egyptians may have assimilated the idea of the lamasu into their architecture anyway the lama or lamasu have bull or lion bodies huge bird wings and human faces so again they're a hybrid demon and they guard entry to ker along with bitu the gatekeeper god but also, people made sculptures of the lama or lamasu to leave outside their homes or at city gates and so on. So, they're basically known for violent fighting of invaders and protection and so on.
1: These are much more my speed. Are they specifically female? Because the sphinx we think of as being female, don't we? It's always yeah. a woman's
0: body. So, it's interesting you should ask. Because the Lama are thought to all be female, while the Shedu, which are basically the same thing, they are their male counterparts. Oh,
1: I've actually heard of Shedu.
0: Yeah, well, so Shedu um, is the, the name for these male guardian demons, is a word that was adopted by the early Israelites with demons in early Hebrew texts called
1: Okay, this is all starting to connect together now Mm -hmm. quite nicely. And uh, so did those same early Hebrew texts believe that all Shedu came from the underworld?
0: They sure did. Ah. So you can kind of see the through line now, hopefully, with the ancient Mesopotamians and the ancient Egyptians both having these beliefs in Demons divided from human life living in the underworld. Then these ancient Hebrew texts call these teachers Shedu, a word which is then translated into ancient Greek as demon.
1: Wow, it all connects. It
0: really does. And once you have Shadu and Abrahamic demons, you get some properly freaky creatures that you really wouldn't want pitching up at your house.
1: To be clear, I don't think I want many of the demons you've mentioned so far pitching up at a house. Maybe the giraffe one. That's yeah, what yeah. That. That sounds pretty really like great. would like to hear the clicking
0: language of flint.
1: <laughs> but I'm imagining this is the point where we start to get a clearer connection to Satan or Lucifer. Well, we
0: certainly get the connection to the snake or serpent in the Garden of Eden. It's important to remember that really until milton's paradise lost the connection between lucifer or satan um, or the devil and the snake in the book of genesis wasn't quite so explicit but these texts these early texts definitely refer to the shade or shadu, this species of demon as being descended from the snake in the garden of eden who we could if we're being clever also connect back to Apep or Apophis or Isfet, yeah, ancient Egyptian demon of darkness and chaos.
1: So a while back on our Werewolf of Bedburg yes. episode for Something Wicked, you were talking about the Kabbalah and Lilith, Adam's first wife in the Garden of Eden. Yep who's sometimes called the mother of demons.
0: Yes. So, again, there are contradictory texts from early Hebrew writing, including the Talmud, which has two sources, the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud, and the Zohar, which is kind of a commentary on the Talmud. So it's like explaining some aspects of it and speculating about some aspects. And then you have apocryphal texts from the time, including the Sepharim Hachizonim and... Out of these texts, we come up with some fascinating ideas. Oh, that's so
1: teasing me. What have you
0: got? <laughs> well, so the first out of the gate should probably be Asmodeus, the king of demons. Uh, he appears in the book of Tobit, the book of Solomon, the Talmud, and on and on. He's known as the prince of of lust
1: astounding title did he pick it himself
0: (laughs) maybe I mean so his true form has him with four heads a bull a ram a lion with a snake's neck and a demon face wearing a crown with dragon's wings and a nasty mishmash of different arms and legs from different animals (laughs) like a lot of demons though he's a shapeshifter
1: lucky for him yeah
0: indeed (laughs) and he'll very often appear as a well dressed charming handsome man but on his feet he'll have the claws of a rooster <laughs> now that is like most shady they, they tend to have the claws the feet of a rooster oh,
1: you've always got to watch out for a charming man with chicken
0: <laughs> you really do don't you um, and if you're having trouble with asmodeus personally he's trying to tempt you to evil and carnal activity just be sure to burn a fish's heart and liver on red hot cinders. The smell apparently drives them away. So that's kind of a relatively easy demon to deal with, actually.
1: Excellent. Let's. Stock up on fish hearts and livers and we can, we can just keep them in the freezer. And to be yeah. honest, they'll probably <laughs> drive away most of our friends too if That's... we start burning those in the garden.
0: We do it on scale, definitely. Now, likewise, from these same texts, we get the Dibbuk, which is a whole species of demon. Yes,
1: these ones I know about. They sometimes live in creepy boxes and possess women, don't yes,
0: they? Yes, they, they do. So they're also known as clinging demons or possessor demons. And they attach themselves to women Usually and apologies for this because it's gross, but they attach themselves to women through their sexual organs. Classic. Yeah, often on their wedding night. Of course. <laughs> often causing madness, but ultimately seeking to possess the bodies of their hosts.
1: That's your kind of classic exorcist-style demon, yeah. isn't it? The dybbuk, uh that possesses the body. Mm. And, and it's a really common one from popular culture. And it's it can be kind of poltergeist-adjacent as well, can't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: definitely. Although poltergeist to maybe more related to the Matsikin, another demon which appears a great deal in the Talmud. Matsikin
1: sounds really cute. I'm imagining a (laughs) kitten-style demon creature, kind of like a little grey mountain.
0: Well, they're mega different. First off, they're invisible, so that's tricky. And they have wings, again, so they can fly about and travel as they will. But basically, their name means those who damage. And the idea is that they're around us all the time, sometimes causing us to be clumsy and knock things over that we wouldn't otherwise knock over or walk into things. But they also, you know, just kind of cause mischief. They sometimes just watch human activity though and sort of sit back and see what we're up to.
1: Quite a lot like poltergeists uh, are understanding that kind of ghost,
0: doesn't it? it? And sometimes Matsukin can become upset and set about torturing people. So they can become like obsessed with you and start to to torture you. But They don't like cats, particularly black cats. And it said there's a couple of things you can do to sort of help ward them off. Okay, tell me more. Okay. well, the first thing is to sift ashes and leave fine ash scattered about your house. If you do and you have a matsukin in your house, then it will leave footprints like rooster claws in the ash. So that will help with matsukin detection. And if you want to go one step further on the detection stakes... You can take the fur from a black cat, ideally a first born female black cat, and burn it. If you do, then through the smoke, you'll be able to see them. Or you can, if you're mental, allegedly put the ashes from the fur into your eyes and gain the ability to see Mexican from then on.
1: Yeah, that I think I can live without, actually. <laughs> and uh, how are you meant to get rid of these charming well, with cat-hating demons? Well, most
0: all of the post-Abrahamic demons, is all down to prayer and blessings and exorcisms and so on
1: of um asmodeus that you mentioned yeah. like a ram's head mm. so one of the classic images we have of demons and devils is part goat oh yeah of course yeah, yeah yeah do we know where that comes from that sort of humanoid goat man
0: of course we do so <laughs> again from these texts you have these forms of shadu called Seirim or Seirs, which literally means He goat. Now, these seirs or seirim are half man, half goat demons, similar to the ancient Greek satire, really. Mm. Um, In the Kabbalah, they are said to be, and I quote, the lowest form of created life which I think is quite a burn, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's actually. great. Let's remember
1: that for someone we don't like. <laughs> and so what, what's their game, the seerim?
0: <laughs> well, a bit like fauns and satyrs, they are known for corrupting people, so encouraging them to dance and drink and sin and sometimes go mad. Uh, they're known for being all hairy, with cloven hooves and horns and so on, but they're meant to be quite weak as demons go and fairly easy to see off, provided you haven't actually been seduced by them wild and wicked ways
1: i think this is also interesting mm. because i am familiar with some of the jewish folklore around golem yeah but i didn't really appreciate quite how many demons there are in those uh, early there, texts there hanging out as well
0: are so many i would really recommend wider reading if you find this interesting um not least because of course These texts, they are variously translated into Latin, back to Hebrew, into other languages, retranslated into Latin, back into French or English, and on and on and on. So all of these words and meanings and characters and implications kind of get stretched and distorted, edited out, added back in, and so on and so forth, up to the point where we recognise a lot of the ideas and images, but don't necessarily associate them with specific names or places, say, aside from like, Yeah, there's big iconic ones like... Moloch which is a really famous one yeah
1: but Moloch's a, not a demon is he no so
0: Moloch is a a false god to whom people feed their children basically
1: as you do yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm guessing that somewhere along the way we get medieval Christian versions of these demons yeah. so Asmodeus definitely pops up oh, as a Christian sure, demon yeah. um, and I'm pretty sure there are seven different archdemons actually kind of one for the, each of the seven deadly sins yeah well I
0: mean that's exactly right so, I mean there are loads of attempts by Christians to classify demons. There are lots, uh, including, say, the Testament of Solomon. You've got, like, philosopher Peter cellus's 11th century text on the operation of demons, and Cornelius Agrippa's famous three books of occult philosophy. But maybe the Lantern of Light, which is dated to around 1409, has had the most impact on the Western consciousness. That's the one where you get this tract called The Seven Princes of Hell, which goes... The first is Lucifer that reigns in his malice over the children of pride. The second is called Beelzebub that lords over the envious. The third devil is Satan and wrath is his lordship. The fourth is called Abaddon the slothful be his retinue. The fifth devil is Mammon and he has with him the avaricious. And also fittingly a foul sin covetousness is with his company of subjects. The sixth is called Belphegor that is the god of glutton. The seventh devil is Asmodeus. That leads with him the lecturer. oh wow so
1: there's a load more there in the gang interesting to see Lucifer and Satan split apart rather than being synonymous yeah well
0: Lucifer is a really misunderstood character Uh, but it's a perfect example of what I was talking about in terms of translation because Satan is mentioned in the Talmud for example as an angel working for God as a judge his name literally means the accuser and in the Talmud God or Yahweh way specifically tasks Satan in the book of jubilees with tempting mankind
1: no way yep. Oh, so it was actually part of the plan it was part of his
0: job yeah so god even give it <laughs> gives satan a troop of demons <laughs> to do the tempting with and tasks satan with the punishing of the sinful it isn't until a long time later that you get the new testament and revelation with the tempting of christ in the desert and the book of revelations and all that sort of stuff
1: meanwhile lucifer is someone completely different
0: well so lucifer literally means in greek the light bringer or dawn bringer lux meaning light as we've mentioned on the podcast before which is also the name of the planet venus at the time and this is all related to a biblical passage from isaiah book 14 verse 12 which reads how you have fallen from heaven morning star which then becomes, how have you fallen from heaven? lucifer and then we get into this whole pickle about lucifer and satan and cross-referencing mentions of venus and boy oh boy is it
1: um nice. <laughs> well satan and lucifer are definitely demon adjacent we yes could probably do a whole other episode about devils and the devil at some point in the future couldn't we oh
0: easily and, and related
1: to demons and like
0: i said at the start this episode is hardly an index of demons we haven't even touched on eastern religions and there's Tons, we could say, about just Christian demons, let alone Islamic demons and variations on what came before. But suffice to say, the key thing to take away is what we started out with, the word demon. So it came from translation into Greek and basically just meant any non-human, so divided, force or spirit that wasn't explicitly sent as a messenger by the specific Hebrew God of those particular Hebrew texts. And
1: from such a simple <laughs> linguistic distinction, we've ended up with hundreds of years of speculation and philosophy and debates. Yep. What a wild ride this has been. It, well,
0: hopefully it's been an interesting ride. It
1: definitely has. Thank you very much. I've, I've had a couple of thoughts uh, along the way. Yeah, great. I, first of all is, of course, the connection. To Philip Pullman's daemons, Indeed. which are the soul personified, aren't they? Yeah. They're kind of like the animal animus that's either the male or female version in animal form, which I guess links back to those Egyptian and Babylonian demons yeah, definitely. in some way as well. The,
0: the, the idea of your soul being something that can survive. So I talked very briefly about this idea of a tutelary deity. Mm, I mean, in Star yes. Wars you get a similar idea with something <laughs> like the force ghost. So it's yes. like if you've been sufficiently powerful in your life to embody a quality then after you've died you might return to offer advice to somebody and guidance to somebody almost as a ghost but as a kind of demigod. something that that is like your soul continues even though you're gone which i find very very interesting interesting. i was
1: also thinking when you you brought up sort of eros and um panic and phobos being the um the kind of personifications of those Human feelings. Yeah, I was reminded that um sometimes in the ancient world, people would say when they were feeling a particular way that they'd had a visit from a certain god. So if you were feeling a little bit sexy, you might say, "Oh, I've, I've had a visit from Aphrodite." Yeah, yeah, or Hera. You're feeling like, yeah. angry. angry. Um, I've had a visit from Mars or Ares today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: for sure. But I think sometimes in life, we are—I mean, we're all encouraged to rationalise our feelings and to mm, try and put labels mm. on them and so on and so forth. But I mean, certainly, I feel there are like I'm, there are days where I'm having a great day, everything's going good, and suddenly my mood will switch, and it is almost like some external force a visit ha- from phobos and yeah, Demos <laughs> popped into the room that I'm in and just kind of turn the atmosphere somehow or turn my mind somehow from from feeling happy to feeling stressed or, or the other mm, way around. So yes, yeah, to me, maybe
1: these it, demons are floating around.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, whether they are or not, I think that way of thinking about these. Uh, forces that are divided from us, but which act upon us, and which aren't necessarily linked to God. Perhaps they have their own agenda. It's quite an interesting way mm. to help us think about our lives and agency and things like that. You know, as previously discussed, fate, etc. You know, I'm quite interested in in fate and yes, a fan of and perhaps of fate the
1: intervention and, of some demon friends.
0: Yeah, steering. Um, it
1: also <laughs> it helped. Um, Clarify something for me that we talked about quite a while back and Mm. I I couldn't tell you now in which episode. Yeah. But we were talking about, obviously, when Christianity pushes out pagan religions yeah. in Britain, and you get a lot of references of, of the old gods as demons. That's right. And I had previously thought that this is confusion mm. uh, between Christianity's teachings and, oh God, we've got to somehow rationalise that people have believed in this pantheistic religion. Yep. But actually, perhaps demons in this context just means gods from other places. That,
0: that's literally what the kind of... Trad- was in Latin. So when you were so writing religious texts or even just letters in Latin about other people's belief systems, then all of their gods and belief systems were demonic, whereas yours was the way and the light, I suppose. Mm. And the challenge for a lot of Romans as they, you know, grew their empire was to see how they might assimilate a god into their pantheon and say, oh, yeah, so you've been worshipping this particular genius, loci but actually all that is is an embodiment of Apollo let's say or or another one so so, you know you then get these uh, kind of mixed and blended versions of gods throughout the Roman Empire
1: oh he's a saint (laughs) yeah yeah indeed indeed. (laughs) wow so interesting we could probably keep going on this topic for quite a lot longer couldn't we we may
0: return to it yes (laughs) (laughs) well thank you very much oh it's my pleasure and as ever if you would like our episodes ad free loads of exclusive content and to support the podcast please consider Signing up for our Patreon for just $3 a month or $6 a month at patreon.com forward slash Three Ravens Podcast. Likewise,
1: please share photos of your carved pumpkins for this year, yeah. along with general thoughts and feedback, of course, to Three Ravens Podcast at gmail.com. We've loved receiving all of your folklore of winter artwork. We really have. So, looking forward to seeing some pumpkins rolling in soon. <laughs> yeah, please, and please. please do follow us on social media via Facebook.com forward slash Three Ravens Podcast, Instagram at Three Ravens Podcast, and Twitter at three ravens
0: pod we'll be back on monday with two brand new ghost stories but in the meantime while our shadowy hosts of winged demons have flown off that way we'll go this way and remember
1: don't whistle till you're out of the woods our theme song is the traditional folk ballad three ravens performed by eleanor conlon and ben harbour and our logo is by ollie james dare
0: the three ravens podcast is a rust and stardust production Written and produced by me, Martin Vawks. Thanks for listening.
1: God sent every gentleman, such hounds, such hawks, and such lean with a down dairy dairy.